Welcome to the Baller Shorts Podcast. I am cooped up in New York, snowy New York, and Doug is in sunny Florida. We are Skyping. Doug has no shirt on. He is taking the Baller Shorts ethos to the next level. Doug, how is it down there? Uh, We got a lot of snow, Ben. Contrary to popular belief, we got about seven inches. Alternative facts hitting us yet again. Nah, it's 82 and sunny. That's beautiful. Uh, I was observing to myself today. This storm is real bad. I think it's the worst we've had this year in New York City. And I'm going to go Shakespeare on you for a second. Because Uh in, in Shakespeare, the stage directions about the weather often reflect what's going on in the human realm or in the mental realm. Like there's a stage direction for a crazy storm when Hamlet is all distraught, doesn't know if he's going to kill himself or not. And I feel like the storm is apropos considering what happened to your Knicks, Doug, last night when Nick great Charles Oakley got into a little fracas at the garden, was escorted out by I think I counted seven security guards. There was a lot of security guards, yeah. And turmoil in the weather, turmoil in basketball land in New York. I mean, the Nets are a different story. They've lost, I don't know, a dozen in a row. But Oakley and the Knicks, as a lifelong Knicks fan, what are your thoughts on, one, Charles Oakley's behavior, and two, the fallout? I definitely think – so, I mean, there's two sides here. It's the Knicks and Charles Oakley. So from Charles Oakley's standpoint, he's saying – He bought the tickets on his own. He's had a rift with the Knicks going back a few years. I mean, I don't know if you remember, but when LeBron was a free agent leaving Cleveland for Miami originally, Charles Oakley actually advised him not to sign with the Knicks because he didn't trust ownership or the organization. So he's always been a guy who's worn um, his heart on his sleeve. He's definitely always spoken the truth. And I think people close to him have said when it comes to the team, maybe scale it back a bit to improve your relations with them. And Oakley, of course, being the guy he is on and off the court, said no. So last night, Oakley goes and gets into it. He says that he didn't say anything um, to Dolan or anyone. Dolan was, you know, a few seats in front of him diagonally, definitely within shouting distance. Um, Oakley said he bought the ticket on his own, wasn't given to him like a lot of Knicks greats get the seats for free. But anyway... He says he didn't do anything. Security guards come up, escort him out, and that's when he starts pushing and shoving. He felt like you know he was being surrounded by a lot of people, which he was, and he gets escorted out in handcuffs, essentially. My question for you is, as a Knicks fan, and the facts yeah. seem a little bit up in the air, are you on Team Oak or Team Knicks here? I'm on in- Team Oak. I'm not 100% on Team Oak, but I'm on like 80% Team Oak, 20% Team Knicks. I think the Knicks were right if he was making a scene. To at least have security approach him, not kick him out, but to approach him. But everything else, I'm, I'm, I'm on Team Oakley. The, the way they handled it was terrible. The game literally stopped. Mike Breen in the ESPN camera shifts over there, and they're literally commentating that. I mean, that, that was terrible. It was terrible. It was not dealt with well. If anything, if anything, the Knicks should have had that dealt with during a timeout or something. I didn't get to watch the actual game, so I only saw some social media posts about it. Did Mike Breen... Uh, give a, a bang call when Oakley shoved that security guard because that. Oh, I wish he did. I wish he did. And I Oakley, two hands, bang. Um, uh, I but, wish but he did, but this... no, we got solemn, Mike Breen. Yeah, I, I mean, then that probably was the correct tone for the moment. I mean, 
now that there's this is the most physical manifestation of the issues that the Knicks is an organization, a, a large organization, are having. He, could this prompt any sort of hard look at itself? Because because I feel like I mean you ranted about the Knicks last week, uh, and as much as people are trying to debate what to do with Carmelo, what to do with Phil. I don't know how much of a hard look the Knicks have taken at themselves. Well, this is the issue. Stephen A. said it today on first take, I believe. He said the issue starts at the top with James Dolan, who's a billionaire and honestly doesn't care what people think of him. If he was completely in the wrong, like if the facts come out and he was completely in the wrong, he doesn't care what people think. He's a billionaire. He's making money off the Knicks. He's proven before that he will hire his friends, <clears throat> Isaiah Thomas, and not care about the backlash. He, it's just that's how it is, unfortunately. Will it, will it you know, persuade some people to take a hard look at the Knicks? But the people who are taking the hard look at management are the ones who've been doing so forever but can't do anything about it. I think they're kind of stuck in that regard. Yeah, that's true. And if ownership wants to do what ownership wants to do, there's nothing the rest of the team can do. Yeah. But, but let me ask you now a question. And people have been talking about this Carmelo or Phil thing. If you could throw out contracts and how much money was owed to people and you know, all of actual you know, details, would you tomorrow keep Carmelo, Phil, both or neither if, if contracts could be wiped off the books? Neither. I keep neither. I want to dump Phil because he's doing a bad job and he's not leading in a way that he should, as I kind of ranted about a few weeks ago when we spoke about it. And I would trade Carmelo because in a basketball sense, it makes the most sense. My heart would say keep Carmelo. I love Carmelo. I love the way he's dealt with it. And he's still a great player. But from a basketball um, standpoint, it it makes sense to kind of go back to the drawing board. So speaking of that drawing board and, and Carmelo, what's the minimum you'd accept for Carmelo if you're the Knicks? And we've heard all sorts of things bandied about. They want Kevin Love. That's not going to happen. And packages now that you hear. I don't hear, want Kevin Love. But, but rumors you hear yeah. as little as Wesley Johnson and Jamal Crawford. What is the right. minimum? Obviously, I don't think anyone would do that. But what's the minimum you'd ex- accept for Carmelo? Uh, I mean – it's hard because he's got that no trade and the teams that you're thinking about dealing with don't really have assets. I would want um, – the minimum would be Austin Rivers and 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 you would hope for a first-round pick in the future attached to that. Honestly, I mean Austin Rivers is young. He could – you know he's proven to be an above-replacement level type player. But we're not getting a superstar in return. We're not no. getting a high draft pick because of the teams we're dealing with, and the Celtics are definitely not going to part ways with a high draft pick. But, like, yeah, Austin Rivers, Terry Rozier from the Celtics. I would love Marcus Smart. I don't know. I, I don't see any of that happening, though. So you're a betting man, Doug. If you had to bet on you're whether – I, I am. I am. And I might hold off on this one, but if you were betting on whether Carmelo would be a Nick at the end of the season, you're taking that bet. Yes. Well, what am I getting the odds? Just even money. Either he is or he isn't. I'm taking yes. Let's pivot for a second to one of the teams you mentioned as a potential trade option for the Knicks. Pivot. You love pivoting. I I do. Jump stop, a good pivot. I actually mostly, when I actually play basketball, get caught up in the air. 
So I could use a little bit more pivot in my life. I like that. I like that that shoulder shimmy that you just hit me with. I was dancing for Ben, everyone, just so you guys know. Um, the Celtics. The Celtics. Celtics, yes. And Isaiah Thomas. He is the talk of the town, the soup du jour, everything you want. People are making comparisons to AI, obviously, to other Isaiah Thomas, obviously. But I think there's now starting to be a debate about just how good he is. And it cuts both ways. Some people are wondering if he truly is one of the five or six elite level scorers in the league yeah. or, or whether this is a blip. But then the other side of the question is, does he kill his team with defense? CBS Sports wrote a really interesting in-depth article asking, does Isaiah Thomas actually hurt the Celtics? And there are a lot of advanced stats to say, you know what, in the fourth quarter, even though he scores a lot, his team is worse with him on the court in net rating. They're off the court with him way better defensively and about equivalent offensively. So where do you land right now on Isaiah Thomas? Is he truly a great and does that defensive issue actually matter? The defensive, you can't ignore the defensive issue, but I think, you know, you can go into as much analysis and, and look at the metric stats as you'd, as you'd like, but they've been winning lately. I mean, I think they just, they lost last night to the Kings before that. I think they had won seven in a row. They're on a, they're on a tear and he's been killing it in the fourth quarter, especially. So I don't know wh- even if you look at the metrics and say, yeah, maybe he's not a great defender, but why would that matter right now when, you know, they're winning 75% of their games without Avery Bradley, who will mitigate some of their defensive issues? So, so the argument is that in the fourth quarter overall, the net yeah. rating with Isaiah Thomas on the court for the Celtics is a minus 2.4, and they're okay. positive with him off the court. So the argument is. The games would still be won with him off the court, but because he is doing spectacular things and the eye test says, wow, we yes. assume it's because of him. So we're making a causation case when it's really a correlation case and they might be winning those games even more decidedly without him. Uh, they could be, yeah. But at the same time, do you really exp- – in the fourth quarter when it's decidedly more difficult to score than any other quarter, do you really think – that you can put in these replacement level players who, you know, score at an okay rate and defend at an okay rate and, and they would carry the team a la Isaiah. I don't see it with that team. I don't think you can get away with, with Horford as being the go-to guy. I don't think he's ever really been that scoring guy. I don't think, you know, when Avery Bradley is healthy or Jay Crowder, I don't think they, they're the ones who are going to carry the team in the fourth. I think some of Isaiah exerting himself in the fourth probably, um, on the defensive end affects him a little bit where he's lax. But I think like, look, I'm a statistical person. I think you have to kind of look beyond the analytics and metrics of this and just say, Hey, they're winning and he's killing it offensively. So you bring up an interesting point about carrying the team and in the fourth quarter, offense often bogs down and things go one on one. Could there be an offense run where one player doesn't need to carry the team? Of course. I don't know. It's hard to say because we haven't seen it very often. But I decided to do a little more digging past the CBS article because I was like, ah, that, I've watched so many Celtics games ever since you moved out, Doug. I now live with a Celtics fan. We have league pass. <laughs> I see a lot of games. 
And the eye test, like you said, it, it makes it seem as if Isaiah is the catalyst for those wins. So I, I felt like there was something that the Isaiah critics were missing. So I played around on the stat, uh, stat machine on NBA.com, and I found out there's actually a discrepancy between the fourth quarter stats with Isaiah overall and the clutch stats. So okay. fourth quarter takes into account the whole final quarter in the games. The right, clutch right. stats are when it's uh, five minutes left, less than a five-point game. And yeah. Isaiah's net rating when it comes to clutch stats is fantastic. Right. So I'm still trying to break it down in my head, but it basically means when the game is super close in crunch time, he's very valuable. But in fourth quarters overall, maybe he's not. So I don't know if he helps him pull out those close games, but early in the fourth quarter, before you need to go to that one-on-one, before you need to be bailed out by singular heroics, he hurts them. And maybe they're not in those clutch games if he isn't attacked on defense earlier in the fourth quarter. I think that's something, obviously, we need to dive into more. But it's interesting how killer he is in the clutch despite not getting it done in the whole fourth quarter, at least when advanced metrics are concerned. Can I also say something? I think to play to your point with Isaiah, he's also playing a lot of the fourth quarter minutes. He's probably averaging 10 or 11 minutes of the 12 in the fourth quarter when most superstars are getting that rest towards the end of the third and the beginning of the fourth and coming back with, you know, seven, eight minutes to go. Playing 10 minutes straight of a basketball game, especially when it's a close game, can definitely wear on you. And he's probably taking it a little more easy on defense. And that might play again into his poor poor metrics defensively i think maybe what you're saying is steven should shuffle the lineup a little bit put isaiah on the more traditional track where he plays only six or seven minutes of that fourth quarter where he's fresh and they need him to be clutch right is i mean i think i mean that's that's, i think that's a great point and i was looking at the fourth quarter last night and the celtics were down 80 to 71 with 1055 left in the fourth quarter and isaiah came back in right stevens didn't ride the bench a, he played nine minutes left with just over two to go. They were down 16, outscored by seven. But that was yeah. a case where Isaiah came in earlier than other teams would have done with their superstars, especially yeah. in just a regular, regular season game. He also, let me just quickly address the Allen Iverson comp. So them together, both of them, they got to the rack real well. And they take a pounding down there, and they're both very small people. And defensively, Allen Iverson was not really known to be a lockdown defender. He's known to be a an okay on the ball defender, but to point out as great as everyone thought Allen Iverson was, and he absolutely was, he's one of the better scoring guards we've ever seen. Um, Isaiah's PER right now, which I think is bordering 28 is three points better at least than Allen Iverson's best ever. So just to show you how efficiently Isaiah is doing it right now, um, comparing him to a hall of famer. Question. Can you win a finals with Isaiah Thomas as option number one? With uh, no, I don't. I don't know. It's tough. Because six I mean, months yeah, ago, six months ago, anyone you would have told in the basketball universe would have said no. And well, he now gets there's some people who are starting to to wonder. No matter what you say about him, no matter what rationalization you have for his offense, defensively he's going to be exposed by the good teams. If you look at the Raptors with two All Star guards they will absolutely just go to work on him. It'll be Kyle Lowry on him, and Kyle Lowry 
Kyle Lowry will bully him on both ends of the court. He'll stick Isaiah that could, enormous butt right into Isaiah yeah, and just work Isaiah, him right down Isaiah there. could drop 30, but he could give up 35 to Lowry. Um, so then you do have a, you do have Avery Bradley, who's a plus defender. So is Marcus Smart off the bench. But uh, it, it's tough for me to see how you can build a team with him as your number one and not be exposed defensively at some point in the playoffs. I agree. And that makes team building very, very difficult, I think. Because what do you do now if you're the Celtics? If you say, we probably can't win a title, we can maybe get close, but we can't win a title with Isaiah as our number one, but look how well we're playing, what do you do from a team building standpoint? And that's one thing I don't have an answer for. Because do you try to make him option number two? Do you, and can he even be an option number two? Maybe. Here's the thing about the Celtics, though. They've actually, I think, done as good of a job as they could about building this team around him. Because if you look at their starting five, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder, Amir Johnson, Al Horford are all plus defenders. Al Horford gives you rim protection. Amir Johnson, to an extent, does as well. Um, so if any, if any team I think would be best suited to have Isaiah, it's actually the current construct of the Celtics. Yes, I do think they could upgrade at small forward and power forward. That's a different story for a different day. I do think, though, that's why this team is thriving. They've surrounded Isaiah with plus defenders and guys who could shoot off his you know, creations down the lane. And they have also given themselves some roster flexibility with all those draft picks with guys on cheaper contracts. They're not going to be able to pay everyone. They're not going to be able to pay Avery and Isaiah and Jay Crowder who are all playing on really cheap contracts. Right. But, I mean, if these Warriors don't break up, and if the Cavs, you know, settle their mental and, and chemistry issues, then I don't think there's almost anything you can do to really be a championship contender. So there may be a certain time frame that you have to wait out anyway. So I don't know how much the Celtics are, are thinking about that, whether they think there's nothing we could do because of these super duper stars in other places to win now so we might as well give ourselves no, the most course. flexibility for later maybe of that's course. why danny ainge hasn't pulled the trigger on a big deal now because everyone says oh the celtics could vault into real contender status i don't know if they could i just don't know if they could because there's no you... way when they're playing against the Cavs or against the warriors there's almost nothing they can do to have even one of the two best players on the court oh, of in either course. of those it's, circumstances. It's a super team league. You look at the Cavs and the Warriors, Kyrie and Steph are two of the, for my money, two of the eight best players in the NBA, two guards who could score with the absolute best of them, and that includes Isaiah Thomas, and they're the second best players on their team. Yeah. To Durant and LeBron. So, I mean, it's just, that's the super team construct. Uh, you know, the only way to bucket is to is to, to be on the Spurs. It, it really is. It's the only way to buck the trend, but we'll even see if that works this year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, another team in the East, though, that maybe has aspirations to challenge the Cavs. The Wizards, the streaking Wizards, won eight out of nine, and I must apologize because early in the season and over the summer, I had nothing but hate for Bradley Beal. You hated him. You said – I'm pretty sure you said he was not a top 20 shooting guard in the NBA. Top I don't know if the record shows guard. that. We, we may have to – well, I'll hit the some. tape. I will hit the tape. Well, I, I said something to the effect of Bradley Beal was below average for a starting yes. shooting guard. And yes. I take it back. I take it back. That might have been my worst take ever. Take was hot. 
and I take it back. Um, Bradley Beal has the best net rating on the team. He is scoring the ball in a variety of ways. He's had a few explosive outings over the last few weeks, and that team is just dangerous. Yeah. But you know who I think is getting lost in all of this and who actually is making this team go? I know who you're going to say, but say it. You say it. Otto Porter? No. Oh, because Otto Porter was the trendy. This guy's making the team go. Pick since I'll the talk about. Of the I'll season. give you. I'll give you stats on Otto Porter in a second, but it's definitely not Markeith Morris. It is Markeith Morris. <laughs> what? It's Markeith Morris has been unbelievable over the past month and a half. He's, he's been good. No, he's been a killer in the fourth quarter. His advanced metrics are insane. Since the flip of the new year in 2017. He has the best uh, fourth quarter net rating on the team. And in all the ways you evaluate guys outside of raw stats, he is as important to the team as Beal and as Wall. And we saw that from Morris a couple years ago. The ability to do it inside, to do it out, to both uh, do a little bit of a Draymond thing where you get the defensive rebound, push the ball and either finish yourself or kick to someone. He's, he's obviously not a playmaker like Draymond, but the versatility he provides on that team and the fact that he's banging scrapping rebounding and playing against bigger guys i mean i think that this team has turned on markeith morris interesting in a good way though you yeah know, yeah I mean, they've literally totally turned way. on him i honestly thought that the Morrises, both of them their careers were done when they got traded to separate teams the way the way they act around each other and the way they they bitched and moaned to be on the same team and and cried when they weren't on the same team it's actually unbelievable they're both playing really well but yeah to your point markeef markeef's been great he he's he's been better than expected to put it mildly and that's exactly what they needed but otto porter can i tell you he's the third most efficient shooter in terms of true shooting percentage in the nba which right is now. amazing for someone who came out a few years ago with it's not a, a great shooter, a really busted jump shot. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, I I like the Wiz. I I see them. I, you know me with the Raptors. I've never been high on the Raptors. Right now, I see the Wizards as the clear number three in the East, just in terms of my my Eastern Conference power rankings. I go Cavs, Celtics, Wiz. But look, the Wiz made. I mean that game versus. Uh, the Cavs the other day that was a pretty incredible it took LeBron heroics to, to send it into overtime and somehow the Wizards didn't win after LeBron fouled out but it they did show that they could compete with the best of them so you just mentioned two three four Celtics yeah. Wiz Raptors as you put it going into yeah. the season and up until probably a month ago people would have said the Raptors were number two they've been slumping a little bit which of these th- teams, which of those three, do you think needs a deal, a trade, most? Um, I would put the Wizards at the least. I would say I'll go Celtics and then Raptors. I think we've been saying forever the Celtics need a deal just because, like you said, they're not going to be able to pay everyone. They might as well try to capitalize on the team they have right now. I think if you're talking about winning now, Raptors yeah. need a deal more than the Celtics because the Celtics have versatility, depth. They do have a couple holes in getting. I, like, I'm, but I'm a talking rebounder. about trying to make. I'm trying to make. I'm talking about making a push to, to to challenge the Cavs this year. Yeah. Like I, mean, I, I, you know, the Raptors. The Raptors. I think the Raptors need it more because the Raptors have the most glaring hole. The Raptors' power forward problems are the biggest problem 
of almost any competitive team starting lineup in the entire do you league. Think, do you think Paul Millsap puts them into contention to actually potentially beat the Cavs? No. I don't no, either. I love Paul Millsap. Me too. But I think there might be two players, three players in the league that put them in contention to do that. Right. I think the Celtics are closer in that regard, and that's why I said they're number one. True. And I think I think there's less players. Yeah, go I, on. I think Washington could be a candidate for some sneaky uh, sort of B-list maneuvers. Well, they need a bench. They need their a bench, bench is for a sure. disaster. It's terrible. It's terrible. They could, I mean, you know, he always comes to mind because he's been such a good six-man in his career, but someone like Jamal Crawford to come off the bench and score for them because Kelly Oubre has not been that guy consistently, at least. He's shown um, flashes, and I think he has a future, flashes. but he's, I mean, they're relying not on reliable Jason right Smith. Jason Smith, I think Trey Burke, that guy Tomas Sotoransky. <laughs> I like that guy. I don't know anything about him. I've watched him play a little bit. He, you know, I know he got one all-star vote, and everyone is pretty sure he voted for himself. Yes. You know what? <laughs> you got to love that. If you don't love yourself, who's going to love you? Exactly. Um, that's brilliant. I, and now, I mean, Jason Smith, anyone who's a Knicks cast off should not be playing rotational minutes on a competitive team. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you referring to Zach Randolph? Are you referring to Jamal Crawford? Because they play pretty significant minutes on playoff caliber teams. They weren't cast offs. They, they weren't were? cast offs. How were they not cast offs? They were yeah. on the Knicks and then casted off. Okay, fine. Well, <laughs> cast it away. You're right. Fine. Literally. You're right. Literally. You ever seen Castaway? No. I haven't seen very many movies at all. Good movie? I watched it. Yeah, you know, I watched it very recently. I'm surprised I never watched it. I mean, Tom Hanks is great, but it's literally just Tom Hanks for like two hours well, how's on an island. the performance of the volleyball? The volleyball was good. <laughs> Wilson, he, uh, he had a sad farewell. It was kind of like a Titanic type moment. Is this a spoiler? Oh. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Do those work retroactively? I think um, so. I, I mean, I, I feel like you're allowed to spoil a movie 15 years after it was made. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But yeah, interesting movie nonetheless. Let's pivot west for a second, Doug. Stop pivoting, dude. Let's just like go with it. I don't have to pivot. <laughs> Let's go west, young man. There we go. You wanted to talk about the Jazz, and I wanted to talk about the Jazz. They're a very good team and still not getting their due. I want to throw a couple stats at you about the Jazz before we start to unpack whether this team is a threat in the West and whether they should be looking to make moves as the deadline approaches. They're 34 and 19 overall, but do you know what their record is when both Gordon Hayward and George Hill start? I don't. 19-4. Yeah. 19-4. And this is an interesting little stat. Uh, I took a lot of time messing around with all the complex variables. Of all the best three-man NBA lineups when it comes to net rating, and I sorted it by lineups that have played 100 minutes together because I didn't want any of the little flukes. So the top 11 three-man lineups are all on the Warriors. They're all some combination of Durant and Steph and Clay and Draymond, and there's an occasional sauce I've thrown in. But yeah, so... Top 11 are Warriors. The top 18 are either Warriors or Clippers. Wow. And they're all Chris Paul-related lineups. Of course. And and net rating, obviously, is 
uh, offensive efficiency and defensive efficiency, the difference between the two of them. So, right. you know, how efficient you are as a team. So, yeah, top 18, net rating three-man lineups, Warriors or Clippers. And it just shows you how important Chris Paul is to the team because the Clippers yep. have fallen off a cliff without them. Number 19 is Utah. Go Bears, George Hill, and Gordon Hayward. So those three are a big three of the likes of the best big threes in the league. But Doug, are they big enough to actually change the landscape of the West when the playoff comes as the team is currently constructed? No. Here's the issue with the Jazz. They, it's Utah, unfortunately. I'm not hating on Utah. I'm sure it's a beautiful state. I've never been there. But they're not going to attract big-name free agents. Their window is so tiny to, you know, to compete. I think we're past the days of Malone and Stockton. I think every superstar wants to dictate his own path, and, and I don't think those paths go through Utah. So my issue is, is, no, I don't think they're good enough. As intriguing as the team is, and I almost think they should go into sell mode in terms is, of Gordon Hayward. What, what would sell mode get them? Like, so what is, Why their, could what it, is their path to contender status? Could, I mean, what is their path? I think their, their best path is to stockpile draft picks. Look, they have Gobert locked up. I think Favors and Hayward, correct me if I'm wrong, are the free agents for this year. Yeah. But Gobert and Hill, I think, are in on reasonable contracts going forward. Hood is still on his rookie contract, and he, I think, is a good piece. Exum is evolving slowly. I think they need to stockpile draft picks and just hope that they can extend some of these guys. They're not going to – you know, the way that they're going to get good is by getting someone like an underappreciated Paul Millsap to come over to them, even though I know he had, used to be there. But, right, I, you know, right. I, I think – or finding a gem in the draft like they did with Paul Millsap. So I I don't see them could they make noise? Sure. They could they could, you know, I think they could beat a Clippers team potentially or beat a, a Rockets. Uh-huh. I you agree know. with that. I think they could be one of the top four, but is that where they want to be? Are they content with that? What do you think? Yeah. So when I was thinking about this jazz team and trying to find comparisons, the one that jumped out to me was the Memphis Grizzlies. And if you just look at their stats this year, they're very comparable. Neither team scores very much. They're both bottom five in the league in scoring. They have positive point differential, only two of 12 teams with positive point differential. <laughs> They're first and third, the Jazz and the Grizz, in defensive points per game. And they're third and fourth in defensive rating. They lock up. They're unified. They know who they are. Neither team has an elite offensive weapon now i'm sure there are some people out there who think gordon hayward is and think marcus all is but i'm talking about a guy who can get and make his own shot at any time right and i don't think either of those guys is there yet they both have underappreciated point guards in george hill and mike conley two of the perennially underrated underappreciated point guards and one you know this comparison firstly does that comparison seem apt to you jazz and gray yeah I'm with you. I mean, the you know, in terms of how they play, the Jazz are, you know, less grinded out. The, I mean, the the Grizz the Grizz are the grind the grind grind city. What do they call it? Grit and grind. Down, grit and grind. Yeah. Grind I mean, city, though. I like that. Grind. I don't know. I made that up. I like um, it. You know, the Jazz are a little more smooth. They just play at a more deliberate pace. 
um, offensively. But yeah, I'm with you. I like that comparison. So here's what I was asking myself. Would the Jazz be happy if their next six years were like the Grizzlies' last six years? Okay, that's fine. Where uh, you, you make the playoffs every year, you go to a couple second rounds and one conference finals. In a team like a market, everyone wants to win a championship, obviously. But in a team in a market like Salt Lake, would that be a success? With the roster as it is now. I, It's got to be, right? I know those Utah Jazz fans are crazy. Can I say one thing? I'm going to break this off for a sec. The Utah Jazz need to change their name. Correct me if I'm wrong. I know they came from New Orleans. But there is not jazz in Utah. I feel like that's the last place you would hear good jazz music is Utah. I've, I've never heard jazz music in Utah. There you go. So I think we got to switch their name. Well, what would you call them? I don't know. I've never been to Utah. What's Utah? The mountains? The salt, Utah mountains. Salt lakes? The Utah salt lakes. That's a terrible name. <laughs> nah, that's good. We got it. The Utah salt lakes. And then the New Orleans Pelicans can be the jazz again. The fighting salty lakes. There you go. There you go. Anyways, to answer your question, yeah, I think so. I would be – if I was the owner of the jazz, I'd be happy. Uh, so I, I think so. those teams – I couldn't Those teams imagine. are one, one draft pick away. They're one more hitting on one more draft pick away from, from making a finals. Like that Grizzlies team, if they had hit in the second round or the first round on one of those guys like a Draymond Green or someone like that who just comes out of nowhere, if they hit on one more person, I think they're finals teams. Yeah, yeah. But the problem is at the point that they were drafting, you know, in the late teens, early 20s, you have to get lucky because they all do yeah. their diligence. And like some right. teams like the Spurs get repeatedly lucky, but you know, Jimmy Butler stroke of genius or random event, Draymond green, same thing, you know? And for all those GMs that drafted Jimmy Butler, you point to a few other guys in the same point in the draft and say, nah, they just got lucky. They didn't, they didn't really know what they were doing. Oh, I'm not knocking the GMs at all of the Grizzlies. I think the GMs, you know, that team was great and, and the the management team that put them together were you know did a very good job. But who cares if it's luck or not? I'm just saying that's how close they are, I think, t- to making that leap. It's just one hitting on one more draft pick. I mean the Grizzlies were drafting shooting guards forever and they never had one and they still don't even really have one. It just took a it just took a, a Jimmy Butler. If you put Jimmy Butler on that grit and grind team, they're going to the finals. At least once in 100%. one of those years. A hundred percent. I agree with you. hundred percent. But it really makes it, – it, it makes the concept of team building inter- interesting. And when I put myself in an owner's shoes in a market like Salt Lake, I want to be competitive. I want to try to make the finals. But like – You don't own your own shoes? <laughs> no, I, I, I lease them. You lease your shoes? I lease my shoes. Well, because shoes only stay good for a couple of years. The sole wears out. The styles change. Why would you invest in buying shoes? Interesting. It's interesting that a company would actually let you lease a shoe when you just admitted that the life of the lease is all you need. Do you think there is a shoe leasing company and could this be our no. next great idea? What would we call it? Because people do that with ties shoe and with lease? socks. Like shoelace? Shoelace? Ooh, yes. I like it. Because um, they have those about services a shoelace leasing company? where you get your clothes for – a certain amount of time, then you return them or whatever. Would people yeah. do that for shoes? 
Like you get Probably sneakers not. for a month and send them back. You really need to insure yourself against like athlete's foot and other funguses, fungi. Right, right. Yeah. I don't know how you would how do that. A, what about a shoelace leasing company? I don't think there's a market. Okay. Just, just running that by you. What about a shoe lease lacing company? <laughs> oh, so your lease shoes could be laced for you? Yes. There you go. All so a shoe lace lacing, lacing company. A guy runs up, laces them for you. So the shoelace lease lacing company is when you lease shoelaces and you can get them laced for you. Boom. All right. Let's, we'll put our shoe lease lacing company ideas. We'll talk about that offline. We don't want someone to steal those ideas. Let's pivot back. Let's run back to the east. Let's, let's take those jet streams and land nearby where you are, Miami, Florida. Yeah. With the hottest team in the league. Where did this come from? The Heat? <laughs> Do you want to know the date that they last lost a basketball game? Yeah. January 13th. And this is That's with a slew crazy. of injuries. Only two guys maybe that you can even name. They're starting Luke Babbitt. They're they haven't starting... lost since Obama was president. Oh, my God. This it is seems Trump's like a while team. ago. How has Trump not come out and said, the Miami Heat, this is the team? Tremendous. Spicer hasn't told him to say that yet. No, that's true. But yeah, this team is – this team, I'm sorry. They're starting some iteration of Dragic and Whiteside and then Luke Babbitt, Rodney Magruder, and Dion Waiters, you know, is resurrected, dare I say. I don't know what he used to be to have been resurrected (laughs) into. But wow. What do you have to say about this team? Well, it, it's hard to figure out, especially because I haven't been able to watch them as much as I would like, exactly what is spurring them on the court. But as we were talking about uh, right before this podcast, this has to be Spolstra's most impressive coaching job. And if there were any doubts about whether Spolstra was a legitimate head coach in his own right, because there were. Everyone thought, oh, anyone could have taken that Heat team to those finals, and Look what's going to happen once LeBron leaves. And it's been a little bit inconsistent. But the, they're clearly playing hard. And they're beating – they haven't beaten necessarily great teams. You know, their last three were against uh, the Bucks, the Timberwolves, the Sixers. But they've beaten some solid teams. You know, they beat yeah. the Hawks. They beat the no. Warriors, believe it or not, on that waiters step back, do the Fat Joe Terror Squad lean back celebration. And – If it does anything, it makes you rethink the landscape of tanking and the East this season. Because last year, 2016, I'm just talking about December, a month ago, the Heat seemed to be sure shots for tanking. Dragic was going to get moved and or Whiteside was going to get moved. They were going to go for a pick. I don't think they can do that now. And I think maybe this Dragic-Whiteside combo has something. And when Winslow comes back and maybe you add a piece, I, I don't know. But, but I think it changes the landscape of the East. Yeah, I don't think they add a piece now per se. Like, let's, let's remember, when they started this streak, they were something like 11-30, and 30, right? And now they're 23-30. and 30. So they were playing really bad basketball beforehand. <laughs> yes. 
understandable. They had a slew of injuries. They lost Dwayne Wade. They lost Chris Bosh. Um, I think people expected them to not be great. I think they were probably a little worse than people expected. But Spolster has done a tremendous job, like you said, and I think one of his best jobs getting this team back on track. I don't know if there's I don't even know yet if they're a playoff team, but it's fun to watch them. You're right. If they get Winslow back, if they get Richardson healthy, that means they have, you know, of the guys who are going to play on the wing. They have a nice little group of waiters, Tyler Johnson, Josh Richardson and Justice Winslow, not to mention Rodney McCruder, who's been their starting small forward. I still think, though, that the best thing this team could do is just play it out and then, you know, have a lottery pick. I still don't think they'll make the playoffs. And that pick could could become, you know, their 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 third guy on offense, their third go to guy. But I like the way this team's going. This team could be a playoff team again next year. They really could be this year, too. But I think next year they could be like a a more competitive team. Yeah. And the first. 30 games of the season, they weren't close to meeting expectations. People, I think the over-under wins for them was like 33. So them being bottoming out at the beginning of the season was was not expected. Yeah. Not expected at all. You uh, know who would be a good fit on this team oh. he, when he's a free agent? Paul Millsap. Oh, Paul Millsap would be a great fit on this team. I think he'd be perfect to play next to Whiteside. I agree with you 100%. But you know what I'm liking to do right now? Bet what on the you? Heat. Both of us have won a decent amount of money on the Heat yeah. these days. I mean, they were they were what at Milwaukee yesterday plus one fifty money line. That's I mean, right. That was, that was Blew some pretty them out easy by eighteen. Then they're visiting the Barclays Center, playing at the Nets on Friday. Uh oh. Uh oh. They have Looking to be favored. To the question is, how much are they favored by at this point? I would say probably five, four or five, right? Yeah. I think so. The Wiz were favored last night by 11 at the Nets. Keep in mind, I think the last time they played the Nets, and I think it was at the Barclay Center, that's when Waiters hit that shot, right? So they, they did struggle to beat the Nets. That's true. They got it done, but... Their next three games, though, are against the Nets, the Sixers, and the Magic. Yeah, the I mean, they could worst be... worst teams in they the could East. Be, they could be knocking on 500's door soon. And if they win those three games, that's a 15-game win streak, which would put them into sort of all-time territory. If this team had an all-time great win, I mean, it's just, it's the beauty of the NBA. It's the beauty it really of the is. NBA. All right, I got one last question before, for you before we go. And feel okay. free also if you have any questions for me. Are we going to pivot to this? No pivot. We're just flying straight in. Flying Why straight in. Why do you not in. pivot? I'm trying to think. It would just continue straight. Well, like the way I see it is like if you're pivoting, you're taking a sharp turn. I'm I'm thinking about, you know, taking a nice wide turn, you know, take your time to get to wherever oh, you're getting. Like let's bear left toward this question. Kind of like the way that this banter is taking us away from the question that that you're about to ask. That's kind of not pivoting. That's kind of, you know. Right, right. Meandering there. Meandering. Boom. Good word. Okay. So the latest hot trade speculation has been between the Sixers and the Pelicans. Yeah. Jalil Okafor going to the Pellies for, yeah. I think it was, they were talking about a future first and Alexia Zinka just to sort of make the contract. Yeah, also seeing Buddy Heald and Drew Holiday's name thrown in there. I can't imagine Drew. I just, I don't know. I, I, I guess it could. I, I just don't feel for whatever reason like that is the trade but 
how much, if you're the Pelicans, do you try to make this happen? Obviously, the Sixers want to get rid of one of their three young big men, but how much do you go out of your way to make sure this happens if you're the Pelicans? And do you see it working out if they do get Okafor playing alongside Anthony Davis? I would trade, and I don't even know if the Pelicans can make this happen with their picks, but I would definitely trade a lottery-protected first-round pick this year, and if it gets protected this year, it just becomes next year's first-round pick with no protections attached, and Alexia Zinka or Omer Sheik. And then maybe if you know if the Sixers want to throw in of a, of a decent player like a Langston Galloway or Tim Frazier type guy, um, that's what I would give. I, I think Okafor on the Pelicans is a perfect situation for him, playing against playing next to Anthony Davis. He, I do, you know, yeah. Okafor, Okafor is an on-the-block offensive guy, not a great rebounder, not a great defender, and Anthony Davis just fills the holes everywhere else, you know, because he's one of the best players in the NBA. Dude, I'm with you. I'm with you. So I try I, to make this happen. I actually, and I was almost, I would trade Buddy Heald if it took that much. Buddy Heald's actually been pretty disappointing. He's only shooting like 38% this year and not shooting the three ball well. It's true. It's sometimes hard to tell, though, with young wings. For sure, yeah. Like, I, I mean, I I'm not ready to give up on him. I'm not ready to give up on him, and I don't think that's the Pelicans giving up on him. I think that's them selling him at value for a guy who they think could help them better. Yeah, that's a good point. Pelicans have also, you know, as bad as they were in the beginning, Drew Holiday makes a difference, and Tyreek Evans, when he's healthy, makes a difference on that team. Agreed. 100% agreed. We got 30 seconds before we have to sign off. Any final thoughts? I love you, Charles Oakley. Stay safe. Don't assault any more police officers and security guards. I hope if you need me, call me. I hope they make up. I hope there's a big ceremony at the guard. What if they made out? Him and Dolan on Kiss Camp. I think I think that would be one of the greater moments in Nick's history. I'd golf clap it. I'd, yeah. Yeah. Polite. Not yeah. over dinner. That's it for the Baller Shorts Podcast. Later. Peace.